broke his collarbone, just so you know. Shackled by a heavy burden, beneath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched. Oh, he touched me, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Sing. I met this blessed Savior. Since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. He touched me. Floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me
Amen. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. I hope you've recovered from your gluttonous adventure. And some of you may have taken offense to that. Maybe you didn't indulge or uh, go overboard, but yours truly did. Yes, I'll tell you what. Once a year, I mean, it just seems that with uh, Thanksgiving, how in the world can't you just, you know, eat more than usual? You know, we don't always get turkey, and uh, I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, now we get those turkey sandwiches, you know, those little sliced turkey stuff that comes in, not so much the pack. By the way, they tell you, don't eat the stuff that comes in the packs, eat the stuff that's off of the actual, you, you know, they actually have to cut it. But anyway, okay, that's just, my wife tells me these things. But anyway, uh, that, that you know, but I mean, a turkey sandwich is one thing, but boy, when you get turkey, I mean, that is just... I mean, that's time to celebrate. And so that's what I did this week. I celebrated, and uh, that was good. Matthew chapter 22, I hope you're feeling good today. I hope you're looking forward to what the Lord has for you. We feasted on Thursday, and may God help us to feast this morning, amen, on His Word. And so, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, we're going to read just a couple of verses to kick things off, and then we're going to look at a couple of different people in the Bible, and and in the end, we're just going to make a very, very brief application. So I don't know how long the message will be. I'm in a festive mood today, so maybe it'll be short. I'll be very kind and nice. Uh, with the normal 1.30 won't get it today. Some of you visitors are going, are you kidding me? No, we don't really. I'm just teasing. But anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 today. 22:36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. What a passage. I mean, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being asked a question. I mean, the question's pretty, I guess, simple in its composition. But boy, let's be honest. Uh, the, the answer wouldn't be that awfully simple for you and I, would it? But here in this passage, he simply says, he says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now listen, we've grown up understanding that all of the word is important, right? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, to tell, tell you which chapter of the Bible is most important, which book of the Bible is most important, which Testament of the Bible's most important. That wouldn't be necessarily something that we would like to have to share necessarily. We may say, oh yeah, Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible and all the major doctrines are found, bound and wound up in that particular book. And then we run over to the book of Romans in the New Testament and we see them restated again for the most part. And, and we see all of the law being restated with the exception of one and all of those things. And we understand that they're important books, that they're paramount books, that they're very integral in the, the composition of the, 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 the way the Bible is put together. But may I say to actually have to 
say to you or someone else, boy, I'll tell you what, John 3.16 is the greatest verse in the Bible. Well, that's my opinion, isn't it? Because you would have maybe another verse. You'd say, well, that's not my life verse. I, I have another verse that I like better. Or I have another verse that's been more impactful. I have another chapter that's made a bigger difference in my life than maybe the one that you said. Or And to say that one chapter, one verse, one, one book of the Bible is better or greater than another would just be a little bit, I don't know. I just don't think I want to do it. But the Lord Jesus has asked the question today. He's asked this question back then. He says, which is the great commandment in the law? Well, there were a lot of commandments. I mean, we have the Ten Commandments, right? We have those. And then they have the Torah, and they had a number of laws, hundreds of laws that they tried to live by, that they tried to enact, that they tried to impose, that they sought to live by. But the fact is, he asked the question, which is the greatest? That's a, that's a good question. Jesus, of course, is the authority on the Word of God because he is the author. He has the right to say which is the greatest. He has the authority to state that. He can say with all authority, this is the greatest commandable. And he does. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Wow. He says, this is the first When it says first, it means it precedes all others. It precedes all others. It goes before all others. He goes on to say, and great commandment. That word great having to do with being comparatively large, considerable in degree. But in comparison to others, it is large. It looms higher, larger, bigger than others. Which is the greatest? Jesus says, well, I'll tell you right now. The first and great commandment is simply this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Wow. That's something, isn't it? It's interesting. Look, if you would, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, as we go back to the Old Testament, chapter 5, the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers... Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. The law is being stated, and in that particular passage it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. You know, God, the Bible says, is a jealous God. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, he's saying, I I want you to understand that when it comes to praise, I want it. I need it. That's why I created you. When it comes to worship, I want your worship. I want it to myself. I, I made you. I created you for that purpose. I don't want you sharing that with something else or someone else. I want to have it. I'm a jealous God. I want it to myself. Listen, by the way, I'm just going to say this, and you don't have to agree with it because it's not politically correct, nor is it probably socially relevant in our culture today. But I'm going to tell you what, it is quite natural for a man to be jealous of his wife. 
He is a reflection of God, creating the image and the likeness of God. How in the world can God be a jealous God over us, His people, and yet we as human beings are not jealous over those things that are ours? Now listen, I'm not saying how to respond to it. I'm not talking about how you react to it. Listen, gentlemen, we have to use common sense and we have to be very careful how we address those issues. And primarily the greatest, the greatest foundation, or should I say the greatest source of jealousy is basically rooted in insecurity for most of us. I saw how you looked at him. You're an idiot. I could tell when you went up the steps, you rubbed shoulders with him. You're stupid. Well, I thought, you should just keep your eyes straight forward at the car. Why are you looking out? Duh, maybe she just wants to see what's going on around her. I'm telling you, I'm telling you men are idiots sometimes. I'm sorry, I mean, that's just called, you know what that's called in the Bible? Straight talk. And I'm going to tell you what, fellas, you'll drive your wife totally insane, acting jealous all the time when there's no real root for it other than your insecurity. Now, God is not insecure, my friend. And God doesn't have to apologize for how he acts or how he speaks or what he does. He is God. And the fact is, is that if he is jealous, because then he is jealous for a reason. And in this case, he's jealous because his people ultimately will give the praise that is his to someone or something else. They'll give the worship that belongs to him to someone or something else. And may I say, God is perfectly good and righteous and okay in that situation. He's a jealous God. When it comes down to it, he says simply this. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So give him everything, he's saying. Everything. Now, I want to take a few minutes and consider a few people in the Bible. And then I want to make a simple application because it's really, I'm kind of getting off track if I keep going here. So I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at a couple people in the Bible very quickly and make that basic application. Because in the end, I want all of us to understand something about the cross. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us today. Lord, we desperately need you and your leadership in our life. And Lord, we can laugh, we can have a good time, but in the end, Lord, it must direct our attention to you. It must focus our attention on you Oh, God, I don't want the glory. I don't want to be the limelight. I want you to receive the glory for it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind your cross, that you'd allow me just to be simply your mouthpiece. God, be glorified in this service. May we all leave here understanding a little more about that cross. Well, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I think about what was often referred to, or who is often referred to as the rich, young ruler. Look, if you would, in Mark chapter 10, would you please? Mark chapter 10. Beginning in verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is a passage that is spoken of in other places of the Bible as well. Of course, we have the four Gospels. And the truth is, is if you take a pie plate, many of you, how many of you had some pumpkin pie or some kind of pie for dessert uh, during the holiday season, during Thanksgiving? How many of you? Okay. Okay. So you do understand when I'm talking about pie, you got a visual now, right? Get a visual. Now, take, take a pie, okay? And, and a pie as a whole is round, correct? I mean, that's the typical pie, round. If you would divide that pie and take two slices, one this way, one across the other way, you'd have four big pieces of pie. 
That is how you cut pie. But anyway, the fact is, is that now we have four pieces from one pie. May I say that is how the Gospels work. The Gospels are, each is a part of a whole. Someone says, well, over in the book of Matthew doesn't match up 100% with the one in John. And the one over in Luke doesn't match up 100% with Mark. And it just seems like there's some contradictions. No, there is just information. Every writer seeing it from his perspective. And there's no way you can get the perfect picture of what's taking place. The whole picture until you put them all together. Now, in this particular case, there's a number of situations where we read about this rich young ruler. But I want to read from just one today because of time. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling, kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Now, wait a second. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? This young man, he he must have understood something a little bit here. I think the Lord's trying to clue us in that this young man is a unique young man. He's a little bit different than others. He's calling him good master. i got to believe that he understood a little bit about what that meant. I I think he kind of had a handle a little bit thinking, there's something unique about this Jesus. There's something different about him from all others that I have heard and that I've experienced. He is unique indeed. He goes on to say, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. This is a pretty good young fellow, huh? Now, I don't know if he really did or didn't. Let's be honest. Uh, I mean, he's human, right? He's like you. He's like me. The fact is is that he is walking on a path and he's doing his very best to live clean and moral and right and uh, and, and upright. But the fact is is that probably if we would really search the the crevices of his mind, if we would really dig in deep into the, the recesses of his heart, we'd probably find something there that opposed and went contrary to the word of God. But he says, oh man, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now what he's going to say, he doesn't say to hurt, to spite. He says it out of a heart of love. Boy, could we learn a few lessons there. One thing thou lackest. Isn't that something? Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Well, that's something, isn't it? That's an amazing thing. Jesus says, okay, so you've kept all these commands at least from your own personal testimony. Okay, if that's the case, then there's only one more thing remaining. Go sell everything you've got and then come back and then serve me. Then follow me. You say, wow. So is that how we get saved today? So you're telling me, preacher, we got to sell our house, we got to sell all of our possessions, and we got to bring them to God, and then we got to serve the Lord? Exactly. No, I'm teasing. But anyway... So, so anyway, 
Somebody will probably take that little sound bite and then they'll put it all over the internet or something stupid. And by the way, that is a dangerous thing, isn't it? It's very dangerous what's going on in our world today. This internet and all of these, the popularity of, the, of, of you know, Twitter and all of these things, and you can just take every little piece you want from somebody and drop it in and make it look like that's, like this is where they not only what they said, but this is what they mean and this is what they think. It's dangerous, isn't it? Can you imagine if everything you said could be cut into pieces and kind of like he said this, and you'd have to say, well, yeah, I did say it, but... Nope, you said it, didn't you? Yeah, but no, no buts. You said it, didn't you? Yep. You realize how much trouble you could get into? I, can, I can't even imagine how much trouble men would get into, how much trouble ladies would get into at work if they've simply, uh, every little thing they said. Boy, your hair's so nice. Did you tell her her hair was nice? You never told me that. At least not in the last ten years. Well, I did say, but you don't understand. I was telling her her hair was nice because she just got it permed at the place and she was telling me about the person. I said, boy, he sure did a nice job. Your hair's really nice. I don't know. I don't know buts about it, mister. You said it, didn't you? You never tell me that. I, all I'm saying is it can be misunderstood, totally misconstrued. The rich young ruler here. The rich young ruler. It's amazing, isn't it? He loves him and he says, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Just so you know, this is Old Testament still. Don't, don't, get, don't get all bent out of shape. We're, not, we're, we're okay, okay? We're all right here. All right? So we see this, though. But we notice something very important. He comes to the Lord saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I've got plenty of money. I've got possessions. And I've got... And Jesus says, well, go sell those things. Get rid of them. You want to follow me? Get rid of them. Okay. There we go. Unfortunately, he couldn't leave his possessions, could he? He couldn't do it, could he? Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Let's go to the next one. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 this time. Verse 19. Matthew chapter 8, verse 19. <clears throat> There in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, we're going to read about a certain scribe. Notice what it says there in verse 19. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. So far, so good. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now he's talking to a writer if you will, a doctor of the law. He's talking to a man of learning. He's talking to one that is skilled in the law itself. When I say the law, I'm talking about the religious law, the Ten Commandments, the, the laws that are found in the Word of God. And he's somebody who reads and explains the law to the people even. He knows the Bible. He's a religious man. He goes on and says, and, a, and he says, and um, another of his disciples say to him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Isn't that something? He's got these disciples here. He has these people that want to follow him. But notice what's going on here. I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. You're not going to have a place to stay. You've got to give up what you've got. 
When you come to me, it's going to be this way. This is how it is. We've got problems here. We've got a couple of fellows here. Ultimately, it says his disciples followed him. I don't think either one of these men followed him. I don't think they did. They brought something to the master. They came with some preconceived ideas. They walked into his presence and they said, I'm going to follow you. And he says, oh, by the way, let me tell you how it works. And they didn't follow. They didn't follow. Turn if you would to Matthew chapter 9. I'm trying to rush through these so we can get to the, the point. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to meet a guy by the name of Matthew. He's a publican. Ultimately becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. Notice what he does here. Early on we have these fellows here. And I mean they come to the Lord. They really want the Lord in that sense. They seem to be sincere. They seem to be genuine. But when he puts the condition on them. Hey guess what? Leave it. They go. Eh, can't do that. Watch what happens here. Matthew the publican. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. We didn't read that about the last guy, did we? But here we see he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, That they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. He goes to Matthew there at the receipt of custom. We know that Matthew, of course, was a tax collector. He was a tax collector of the most vile sect. And yet when confronted by Jesus Christ, he looks at the master and he realizes, okay, here I go. If I follow him, I leave this all behind. If I follow him, there's no return. If I follow him, everything's going to change. And what did he do? He followed. He followed. Look over in the book of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This is a holiday sermon. It's going to be a holiday. It's a short one. You ain't going to get that many of these. So enjoy it while you can. (laughs) I'm not really that long a preacher, but I am not that short a preacher either. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Here we're going to read about somebody. Interesting man, right? A man by the name of Saul who would ultimately be called Paul. Notice in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. They're talking about Stephen. They cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Saul here is a young man now at this point. They laid the clothes. Here, they laid down uh, this man's clothes at this young man's feet. Saul. Chapter 8, verse 3. Just a few verses down. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. We have Saul here now, this man that was there when Stephen was was martyred, this man that saw him with the appearance of an angelic being, so to speak. I mean, here he is being stoned, but yet here face up, seeing the Lord standing. He can't wait to enter into the presence of Christ. And he is just amazed as he watches this this man take it on the chin 
and take it so well. And then he turns around here in chapter 8. He becomes a great force for the, for, against the cause of Christ. Now the Bible tells us that this Saul, he makes havoc of the church. He enters into houses. He hauls men and women away, commits them to prison, separating them from children, separating them from parents, separating them from spouses. Acts chapter 9. But he's going to have an encounter, isn't he? He's going to meet up with one person that's extremely special. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues. And he, as if he, excuse me, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell down to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We know the situation, probably. If you've been in church any length of time, if you're visiting, let me just say that Paul met with Jesus Christ there on that road to Damascus. And before it's over with, he gets off his his knees, so to speak, or off his face, and he is a different person. He met the Master. He met Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find is, look at Acts chapter 26. Oh, wait, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 11, excuse me. We're going to see something interesting taking place here. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. The Lord says to Ananias, you go get that guy. You go meet him. And then you, you go ahead and restore sight. He said, are you nuts? Come on, God, I've heard all about him. He's wreaking havoc in the church. But you know what? The Lord would ultimately help Ananias to understand something. This isn't the same man anymore. It's a different man. I know, but I remember what he's done. And I've heard of all his escapades. I I know what he's capable of. But he's not the same guy. Hmm. Look at Acts chapter 26 now, all the way to the end of the book of Acts. Do you know the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul? like all Christians, should be, the Apostle Paul never went back to his old ways. Look at what happens here in chapter 26. We'll just read it because of time, but it goes on to say, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? (laughs) He's being tried here, and he's sharing now with King Agrippa, and he's giving his personal testimony. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Watch this next statement. I mean, that's a big transformation, right? He goes from wreaking havoc in the church. He goes from hauling 
mamas and daddies away from their children. He goes from destroying homes and wrecking families and trying to ruin a religion. Someone says, religion? Eh, I guess the world would call us a religion, but in reality, we're a relationship. And he goes to being the greatest spokesman on behalf of Christianity that the world's known outside of Christ himself. Notice what he says here at the end. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, 30 years at least later. 30 years later. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I met him. I've never been the same. Isn't that good? Now, here's the point. You, say, you said you are going to share something about the cross. Here it is. Real simple, okay? Every one of us. I mean, just load it up, okay? I mean, let's look at our guys for just a second. Let me just review them very quickly. We have a rich young ruler who had money and possessions. We, 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 we could have even said that he was somewhat self-righteous. But for sure we have this religious man, this, this scribe, this, this person who was a doctor of the law. Oh, without a doubt, he had to be righteous. So we have money and possessions. We have some self-righteousness. We've got Paul, the, uh, the apostle, who was wicked and sinful, and his past was wrecked and ruined by, by wretchedness. We have an unethical man by the name of Matthew who was, who was stealing from his own people in order to pad his own pockets. I mean, we've got this baggage that we see that these men are carrying around. They're carrying all this baggage. And here they come. And when they meet Jesus, they meet Him at the cross. I'm righteous. I'm good. I I, I do good things for people. Hey, I've got money. And I've got possessions. Hey, I've got a future. Hey, I've got a 401k that's growing. And I've got a retirement plan that looks like it's going to be out of this world. Then I'm telling you what. I've got sin in my life. I'm bound and by vice. I'm difficulties. I've got struggles. I've got mental and emotional anguish. I'm dealing with problems in my life. Hey, I don't care if it's money, possessions. It doesn't matter if it's self-righteousness or religion. It doesn't matter if it's just sin that's bound in your life and bearing you, weighing you down. You're carrying it and you walk up to the cross of Jesus Christ. And may I say, friend, the only way you ever trust Christ, the only way you ever get saved is to stop trusting those things and just let them fall to the ground and walk away with none of them. I mean, none of them. You have no self-righteousness when you come to the cross. You have to leave it there. If you walk away with your possessions, you aren't none of His yet. You walk away with your self-righteousness, you still aren't saved. You walk away with that burden of sin and unwilling to repent of it and walk away and say, I'll do my best with God's help to live for Jesus Christ. You're not His! There's something wrong today in America. We're coming to Christ being burdened down with sin. We come to Christ carrying our own righteousness. We come to Christ having all these things. And we don't want to give up any of them, but we still want Jesus. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. These men that came to Christ, these men that followed Him, left their, their occupation if necessary. They left their unethical behavior. They left their sin in the past. They left their life, wicked lifestyle back there. They didn't bring it with them. They didn't carry it past the cross. It was left at Calvary. It's interesting how we simply want to add Christ to our many gods today. I mean, isn't that really what we try to do? I mean, we, we want 
rescued from hell. We don't want to have to be separated from God, but we don't want to separate from the world, the flesh or the devil. We want everything. We want our cake, as we used to say it, and eat it too. Look in Matthew chapter 16, would you please? I'm telling you, if you are lost today and you are bound by vice and bound by sin, or somehow you grew up in a religious home and you think yourself like that rich young ruler to be perfectly fine coming to Jesus and somehow have something to offer him that he needs. My friend, if you don't take it to the cross of Christ and just shed yourself of it, relieve yourself of it, just leave it there and walk away. My friend, you are as lost as you were when you came to him. You don't go to Jesus Christ with conditions. You don't go to Christ and say, well, I, I depend on my money. I have real faith in my money, but I want to have faith and dependence on you too. I want to share you and my money together. I don't want to give up my money, so to speak, or my faith in my money, my trust in my money and possessions. I just want to have you in the, as an ace in the hole. I just want to have you in my hip pocket. I just want to have you as my get-out-of-jail-free card. Sorry, he's a jealous God. You know what? He's never changed, by the way. You say, there's dispensations. Yes, there are, but he ain't different. He deals with us differently, but he's not different. And then said Jesus unto his disciples, chapter 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me ask you something. Is there anything that will keep you from the cross and Jesus Christ this morning? <clears throat> what is it? Well, I know if I would come to Jesus Christ, I mean, I'd have to. I mean, I, I, there's some personal I, dependence. I depend on things. I depend on this or I depend on that. You don't get to heaven dependent on your money. You don't get to heaven dependent on your, 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 your benevolence. You don't get to heaven based on your ability to help people or to serve others. Man, there's no scale in heaven like this. There's no scale like that. It, you either put your personal faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. You either go to the cross of Calvary, leave everything else but Him behind. Or you're none of His. Now listen, we don't talk like that today because we're so worried someone's going to say that we're legalistic. We're so worried today that someone's going to say that we are Calvinistic. We're so worried today that someone's going to say, well, that's not grace. Well, then you tell me that grace in the Word of God is coming to Jesus Christ with your sin and walking past the cross with your sin and Jesus as well, having no desire whatsoever to relieve yourself of it, to dismiss yourself of it, to repent of it at all, having no desire to, to be saved from sin, to, but instead to be saved in your sin. Is that what the Bible teaches? Of course it doesn't. You don't get saved in your sin. You get saved from your sin. And so do I. I'm not saying that we're perfect in the sense that in this flesh we go around never messing up, never sinning, never going against God's Word. That's not what we're talking about. But my friend, let me tell you something. If you come to Christ and you're holding on to a sin, you're holding on to self-righteousness, you're holding on to your possessions in a sense, you're saying that I'm trusting in something, someone other than Jesus, I just want to add Him to my trophy case. That's not salvation. Uh-uh. 
No, that, that's not salvation. I, 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 mean, I mean, how in the world can the master, and he hasn't changed in his opinion toward himself and toward how we ought to treat him. I mean, when he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Do you think that in this dispensation it's different than it was back then? Do you think that now he says, you know what, you don't have to love me with all your heart. You don't have to love me with all your mind and all your soul. I'll just take what you'll give me. You really think that? I don't. I don't see it in the Bible. We'd like to believe that. Oh, because that, that leaves space for our personal comfort. Our personal desires. Our own fleshly desires. See, if there's anything that will keep you from the cross in Jesus Christ this morning, I mean, is there ambition? Is it acceptance? Is it accomplishment? Is it approval? Is it acclaim? Is it applause? What is it that you want to take to the cross but not drop? What is it that you have to have more than Him? Because you don't come to Christ bargaining. You don't go to the cross of Jesus Christ with demands. You go to Him humble. You go to Him broken. You go to Him as for who He is. He is the Creator God. He is the Savior of all, all mankind. He paid the price. He paid the debt. He did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. Look, if you would, in Matthew 13 as we close this. See, we all come to the cross on equal ground today. And this is, I guess, the main point to me. The real thought was that. And that's what I, 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 I envision in my mind. We all come to the cross on equal ground. See, one person owns a business and makes hundreds of thousands of years, maybe millions. You know what he does? He has to carry that in or to the cross and leave it. And take only Jesus now to depend on, to trust in. He can't trust in that business. He can't trust in that money. He has to trust solely in Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, there's this guy over here too, though. He can't, rub, he, he, has, he, he, he can't even rub two nickels together. He ain't got a dime. You know when he comes to the cross? He comes on equal ground. You want to know why? Because he walks out in the same spot. He may not have an Armani suit on, but he's just the same son of God that that other man is. See, we all come to him on equal ground. See, you can't carry nothing in. You can't carry nothing out. And that's a good thing for the house of God and the church of God and the people of God. Because there's nobody in this room better than the next. Because if you're truly a child of God, you left everything behind. And now you're walking, trusting in Him only. We're all on equal ground. We're on the same ground, the foot of the cross. All that other stuff is pride. All that other stuff is ultimately selfishness. All that other stuff that we take into the cross with us leads us down a road of destruction. My friend, God doesn't want us on any of that. He wants us to be done with that. Oh, I'm not saying sell all your goods and get rid of all your possessions. He's not asking us to do that. But if He did, you ought to be willing to. But that's not a condition of salvation, friend. You don't have to come to the cross and say, well, sell your house, sell your car, sell your children. you got to just have Jesus. No, that's not what He says. Some of you would like to sell your kids if you could get anything for them. But you're stuck with them. But the fact is, is that 
You have to come to Christ on equal ground. And guess what? You know why? Because when you come there, you've got to leave it all behind. The, at the foot of the cross, it's equal. You may enter it in feeling like a big shot. But when you leave, you're on equal ground. That cross, the foot of that cross is equal ground. You don't, you don't, take, anything, you don't, leave, you don't take anything out of there. You want Jesus, you've got to leave everything else behind. You carry him only away from that thing. Only he gets carried away. You take him with you. You don't take all the rest of it. You can't depend on any of that stuff. Look at this. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And I understand the key, there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I got it. I figured it out a long time ago. So we don't need to debate that. I know you're a theologian. Okay, I get it. I understand that. But for the sake of the message, let's try to understand the concept here, just the thought behind it, okay? This is the inspirational application, not the historical or the doctrinal, okay? Notice what it says here. And the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found it, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Isn't it amazing here? There's a treasure that's hid in a field. You know it. You know there's a treasure hidden in that field. Say that you knew that there was, there was oil on a particular piece of property that was worth $300 million. If, you could just, if I could buy that piece of property, $300 million would be mine. You're going to save all your money up and you're going to buy that field. Somebody says, well, I'm going to charge you 100000 for that field. That's a lot of money. It's not really worth more than $20,000. i will give you 100 Why? Because you know there's $300 million sitting underneath it. carrying all this stuff with us. Whether it's a past of sin, whether it's money and possessions, whether it's self-righteousness, somehow thinking that we're good people, we grew up in a nice home, we were religious and we went to church all our lives. We carry all of it thinking it's so valuable. We come to the cross and we look up to Him and we see how much of a treasure He is. None of this is worth a dime to me anymore. He's all I need. He's all I need. And we walk away, leaving it all behind and carrying only Christ. See, that's the cross. For what is a man profited that he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, there's good things to this, too. It's not, you know, we look at it like it's almost bad. Okay, I've got to get rid of this sin that I'm so attached to. I've got to get rid of this vice that I enjoy so much. I've got to... You come to Christ and you just give Him yourself. That other stuff will go away. But you've got to give Him yourself. You've got to come to that cross understanding there ain't nothing more important, more valuable, more worthy than He. So you know what? None of this stuff matters in comparison. Oh, it has value. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Many, much of it does. But it doesn't have any value in comparison. I'm willing to do away with all of it to gain Him. And at that point, we are on equal ground. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a pauper or whether you are rich beyond your wildest dreams. It doesn't matter whether you are the President of the United States or you're just some guy cleaning up 
you know, sweeping a sidewalk somewhere. There is nobody that's any better than the next. We are all just flesh and we are all in need of Jesus Christ. We all come in and we carry everything that we've got, if we have anything at all, and we just leave it at the cross. Level ground at the foot of the cross. Equal ground at the foot of the cross. And we all walk away the same thing. The sons of God. The same inheritance. The same value. In the eyes of our holy, righteous God. Are you willing to come to the cross today? Listen, I'm not asking you, do you just want Jesus to get out of hell? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, is there anything in your life that's going to keep you from coming in? Because you know, if you come to Him genuinely, according to the Word of God, there's some things going to change in your life. And that you ought to know that, and you ought to think that, and you ought to believe that, and you ought to realize that, because it's a biblical scriptural principle. Things will not be the same. Any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Or will you be perfect? No, you'll probably still fall on your face time and time again. But praise God, you'll be able to go to him because he'll be your father now. But don't come to him wanting to add him to your, perif- to your, your, your plethora of gods. That's not how it works. You don't just add him to your trophy case. You don't just include him as one of the guys. We come to the cross on equal ground. And we have to leave with only him. Have you done that? See, nothing's ever changed in my life, preacher. My friend, I'd be very, very concerned about whether or not I ever walked out on equal ground. Whether I ever really met him or not. Oh, you may have come to the cross and you may have viewed it. But if nothing has ever changed in your life, nothing! Something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're not saved, but I'll tell you one thing. I would be checking my salvation if I were you. I'd be seriously checking it. Because there's nobody in the Bible that we see coming to Christ that something hasn't changed. Oh, some of them have strayed after they've trusted Him. We've got Demas. Well, we want to believe He's saved. It probably was. But He's forsaken Him. But there's something changed in His life before that happened, though. Something changed. I'll tell you what it was. He came to the cross and he unloaded. And he walked out with none other but Jesus. Only Jesus. Have you come to the cross and walked away with only him? Trusting only him. Not trusting in anyone or anything other than him. If you haven't, won't you do that today? Won't you settle your soul salvation? Won't you ensure that you are on the winning side today? That you're in the family of God and that you have Christ in you that you walk away with Jesus, who you can have a relationship with day in, day out. What a wonderful, wonderful life it is to have the Master in your heart and life. Father, we come to you.